Well, good morning, everyone. It's really great to see you all, and it's really great to be able to meet together around the Word of God this morning. As Will said, we've reached the final week of our Pilgrim Way series, and we've been looking at what it really means for us as Christians to live as pilgrims in the world. And today, we're turning to one of the most magnificent chapters in the whole Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to take time to read it in its entirety, so if you want to turn with me, for the sake of context, we're breaking in at Hebrews 10, verse 39, or feel free just to listen along if you prefer. Hebrews 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commanded as righteous, God commanding him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commanded as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ 
greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now, this is such a rich and weighty chapter that we could easily spend the next few weeks unpacking it. But this morning, I just want to draw out three short observations about these verses to help us think through what it really means for us to walk the pilgrim way. Firstly, I'd like us to see what characterized the life of all these people we read about, these pilgrims of old. Secondly, we're going to ask why they lived the way they did, what was their motivation, what was their goal. And then thirdly, we're going to see the outcome of their way of life. So we're looking at the character of their pilgrimage, the motivation for their pilgrimage, and the outcome of their pilgrimage. So firstly, what characterized the life of these people? What did they all have in common? Well, the one characteristic every single one of these men and women had is the word that keeps cropping up again and again, faith. By faith, Abel, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Moses, and so on and so on. Faith is their defining characteristic. And the writer spells out for us exactly what they mean by faith. Verse 1 says, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Whenever we talk about faith, sometimes we fall into the pop song mentality. You've just got to have faith. You just have to believe that things are going to work out for the best. Sometimes we reduce faith down to a positive attitude. You get sick and you start treatment and the outcome is not guaranteed by any means, but you have faith that the medicine is going to work and you're going to get better. And biblical faith is not like that. It isn't some kind of vague, misty hope that's based on little more than wishful thinking. It's a wholehearted trust in God himself, who has revealed his trustworthy and unchangeable character to humanity throughout history, as recorded for us in the Bible. And that's what characterized the people in Hebrews 11, a firm assurance of God and his promises. 
During this letter, the writer has been talking to a group of Jewish Christians who couldn't let go of the Old Testament system that they had been brought up with. All the rituals and sacrifices that they had been taught would bring them to God. And the writer wants them to know how that system had now been completely superseded by the coming of the Lord Jesus. He had given people full access to God through his one sacrifice for all time on the cross. And by accepting his sacrifice by faith, by simply believing in what he did, they had been saved. With all the generations past of offerings and atonements, that was very hard for these people to grasp. So the writer wanted to show them how it had always been this way. Faith was always what counted with God, right from the beginning. That's why they spend half the chapter talking about characters that we find in the book of Genesis. Faith has always been the thing that's marked out God's true people. So if they wanted to be God's people, then they had to live by their faith day by day. They had to live their lives in light of the unseen but unchanging realities of God, just like these Old Testament examples had. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And what you might have noticed as you glance down these verses in Hebrews 11 is that the faith of these people wasn't static. It wasn't a passive kind of faith. Their faith always led to intentional action. Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. The people crossed the Red Sea. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They stopped the mouths of lions. Their faith didn't stand still, did it? It was a bold, intentional, daring kind of faith. It was a living response to the character and the word of the Lord. People left their homes They went against the grain. They refused to let the world squeeze them into its mold because they heard the Lord's voice and they didn't only believe it, but they did something about it. And that is pilgrim faith. That is the kind of faith that pleases God. And the first question this raises for us this morning is, do you have faith in God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you got a faith that saves your soul? Have you got a trust and a confidence in what Christ did for you on the cross by sacrificing himself for your sins? John 3, 16, of course, famously says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever rests their full confidence and trust in him, they won't perish, they won't be lost eternally, they won't be condemned, they'll be saved. And that's all you and I have to do because Jesus has done the rest. So that's the first question. And the second question is, if you do have faith, is it Hebrews 11 faith? Is it active faith? Is it living faith? Is it faith that stands out? Do other people know that it's there? Or do we keep it locked away? Do we keep it private so that no one else can see it? because it might make things difficult. Because it might make it harder to get the promotion if our employer knew that we followed Christ. Or because it might make things awkward with our friends and family. 
Well, that's not pilgrim faith. Look at Noah in verse 7. He demonstrated his belief for everyone to see, even when people must have thought he was out of his mind. And I don't mean that all of us should go and build a ship and gather up lots of animals, but do the people in our lives know that we're a believer in the Lord Jesus? Saving faith was never meant to be hidden away. It's meant to have a direct effect on our behavior. Our whole lives should speak out our faith in response to God and his word. Faith is hearing God say that we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers and then making the choice not to date that person who's not a Christian. Faith is obeying Christ's command to be baptized. Faith is loving one another and forgiving one another and bearing one another's burdens. Faith is the most fundamental characteristic of someone walking the pilgrim way. Not a static faith, not a hidden faith, but a faith that stands out, not a faith that stands still. But what was it that drove individuals like these in chapter 11 to keep going? Because it wasn't an easy road. So what was it motivated them to stick at it? Well, secondly, let's look at the motivation behind their pilgrimage. Last week, whenever I was on my lunch break, I got into my car with the intention of driving somewhere just to get out of the office for a while and just clear my head. But I didn't have anywhere that I really wanted to go. I had nowhere in mind. So I ended up just sitting in the car park for an hour. I, I didn't go anywhere. You don't usually set out on a journey without a destination in mind, do you? Otherwise, you'll end up like me. You'll get nowhere. And the Pilgrim Way is no different. There is a goal that we are traveling towards. And we're going to pick out just two examples from this chapter very quickly to illustrate what that goal is, Abraham and Moses. And we're going to think specifically about their vision and their values. Look down at verse 8. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. For he was looking to the city that has foundations, whose builder and designer is God. Here's one of the amazing things about Abraham. He had been given a land of his own possession for him and his descendants. God had led him to it. And once he got there, he kept living like a pilgrim and a stranger. Now you would have thought that after that long journey he had just taken, he would have settled down. He might have made plans to build a city and put down roots. But he didn't. Why not? Because nothing on earth was Abraham's main goal. His heart belonged to the one in whom he had placed all of his faith. His vision was never limited to the here and now. The eternal city of the eternal God was Abraham's goal. Something better than anything that earth could offer him. His eyes were fixed on the Lord. Nothing else but him would do. There's an interesting contrast here with Cain in Genesis 4. Once Cain murdered his brother Abel, Cain was told by God that he would be a pilgrim and a stranger on the earth. And right after God said that, Cain went and he built a city. It's like he said to God, I'm sorry God, but that's not going to happen. He couldn't stand the idea of being a, a pilgrim and a vagabond. So he put down his foundations as deep as he could into the world. 
because that's as far as Cain's vision ever went. Cain walked by sight. He didn't walk by faith. Abraham, on the other hand, had a far more expansive vision. The only city that he was interested in was God's city. And what about us? How far does our vision extend? One of the amazing things about faith is that it allows, to see, it allows us to see a reality that is so much more and so much better than what we can physically see. But the question is, do we choose to see those things? Or are we so bogged down in the nitty-gritty of daily life with all of our human goals, with all of our human motivations and aspirations? All of us have to beware of limiting our vision to a world that's passing away. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things that God gives. David Gooding wrote that we are meant to enjoy our God-given present and earthly future blessings and careers, but we must not let them loom so large in our thinking that they virtually become life's chief goal. If we do, the danger is that we shall settle down in the world as if it were our home. We cease to live like pilgrims and foreigners and belie our professed faith that we are looking for the eternal city. God's city is the pilgrim vision. But what about the pilgrim's values? Well, look at Moses in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses chose reproach, he chose mistreatment. He chose dislocation and hardship because God and his promise of an everlasting inheritance seemed to Moses to be more valuable than anything he had in Egypt. And he had a lot of things in Egypt. He left all of that stuff that he couldn't keep for something that he could never lose. And God's people are always faced with that choice, aren't they? Now, we can freely choose to value the fleeting pleasures of sin and live like we weren't under God's authority. We can have relationships with whoever we want. We can drink as much as we want. We can conform to society's views on sex and gender. We can forget about valuing what God values. But we'll reach heaven with very little to show for it. We won't have the eternal reward that Christ wants so much to give us. Christ wants to be our everything. But the question is, will we let him be our everything? Do we want more of him or more of the world? Do we truly value Jesus as our greatest treasure? And we all need to think about that. We all need to count it up and weigh it in the balance. What is worth the most? Treasure that fades and amounts to nothing in the end? or a treasure that's of eternal worth and value? A city like Cain's city, which has long since turned to dust, or a city that is unfading and unspoiled? The motivation and goal of the pilgrim way is the eternal city and the eternal treasure of the Lord Jesus himself. So let's never waver in our vision or our values. But where does this pilgrim way lead to? What is the ultimate result. What is the outcome? So thirdly and finally and very quickly, let's see the outcome of their pilgrimage. Now we would love to say that 
it leads to a trouble-free future for all of us, wouldn't we? But unfortunately, that is far from true. Yes, Sarah had her son. Yes, the people put armies to flight. Yes, women received their dead back by resurrection. But then, in verse 35, others were tortured. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about in skins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. Now, you wouldn't use that as your strap line on a brochure advertising Christianity, would you? But the truth is that hardship is a part of the pilgrim way. All these, though commended for their faith, did not receive in this life what was promised. In this life, they saw only glimpses of what was promised. They didn't see the fullness. These verses teach us very clearly to expect that the Christian life can be hard at times. There are no guarantees about our earthly life. God won't always keep us from pain and suffering. And there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to standing out for him in our culture. But let's never think that that's some kind of defeat. Quite the opposite. It's all a part of our victory in the Lord. Verse 40 says, God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. For a time here on earth, yes, we bear Christ's reproach. We identify with him by sharing his sufferings. But God uses those very sufferings to help us bear his image more fully, to bring us to completion, to make us perfect in him. And that is the outcome of the pilgrim way if we remain faithful. That is the purpose of our pilgrimage, to be like the Lord Jesus himself. And one day we're assured that whenever our earthly lives are over, we'll be free from sinning, we'll be free from suffering, we'll be free from loss and decay. And even our own bodies will be changed to be like his glorious body. And that outcome, however rough the road gets, is assured. That's why we can take the baton that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation with full confidence in how the story truly ends. Whenever we look, a, look at a list of names like this and we see names like Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, it's very tempting to think, I could never match up to people like that. If you only knew my feelings, you would know that I have no place on a list like this. But if you scroll down Hebrews 11, what you'll also find is a list of people who failed. Noah got drunk. Sarah laughed at God's promise. Moses was a murderer. Samson was seduced. The thing is, God didn't count their failures. He counted their faith. Put your faith into action. Keep the heavenly city in mind. Make God your greatest treasure, remembering that Christ is bringing us to perfection by making us more like him. And remember that one day he will reward every faithful pilgrim. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our Father, we're thankful that even when our lives are hard, even when the cost of following Jesus is high, we thank you that we don't walk the pilgrim road alone. We thank you, Lord, that each step of the way we have beside us the one who has traveled that road so perfectly before us, a road that even led him to the cross. Father, we pray that as we fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, that you will give us the strength to run our race well so that the world around us will see in us the light and life of your Son and might be drawn to him. Father, we pray that you will help us never to give up and never to give in. But we, help, we pray, Lord, for your help to finish the course and keep the faith until the day that you welcome us home to the eternal city. We pray all of these things in and through the precious and worthy name of our Lord Jesus.